Thanks, Imelda. It's been a joyous but serious morning, hasn't it, with the things that we've had on? And I just want to add to that seriousness this morning by telling you that I've got a serious issue with Coles paper bags. They're horrendous. The plastic ones were way better. Call me an environmental thug if you like. But the plastic ones were way better. In fact, I've got a cupboard at home that's got about $30,000 worth of plastic Coles bags in there. I'm selling a few if you want some. But I hate the paper ones because they don't work. They're rubbish. I avoid using them at all costs. I know I could take my own bag, but I like my collection that I've got at home instead. Uh, so I uh, often get to the shops and I realise I don't have a bag. And the only bag I can get I have to pay for for a start. And I have Scottish blood, so that's not happening. And then secondly, it's paper and it doesn't work. So I do it myself. I get all of my groceries and I try to hold them in both arms. I don't know if you've done this. It doesn't work out very well for me. I get to the self-checkout and I check everything out and then I'm trying to hold all my bits and pieces all in a row and some of them are frozen and they're cold on my arms and some of them are not and, and on more than one occasion in front of the workers, right at the doors where they open down to the ramp down the side, I've dropped all my stuff on the floor and had to pick it up again then dropped it again halfway down the ramp and pick it up again and maybe I should just buy a bag, I'm not sure. Listen, listen. This is not a fix-it time for me. I'll sit on the lounge later and you can talk to me about it. But I need help. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be the trolley. It could be the, a different bag. It could be another person. Uh, but I clearly need some help in more ways than one. But I need some, some help. The, this morning's passage is about the help that Jesus provides for his people. Sometimes we think we can do it alone, go it alone, be on our own. But it rarely works well. And Jesus, thankfully, gives his people the help that they need to get through not just a shopping expedition, but life. Last week, we saw, as we started this series, Jesus comforting his disciples. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He was about to make his departure towards the cross, where he would prepare the way for all the disciples to know the Father and to have a place made for them in heaven. He went on to say in verses 12 to 14 that in the meantime, while you wait for me to return and come back to you and take you to the place where I am going with my Father, I am leaving you the task of doing greater works than I will do and to pray that you might be effective in those greater works. And as we alluded to last week, this next passage tells us about what help Jesus will give to his people. And the help is this, we cannot do it alone. Today, as we enter the upper room with Jesus and with his disciples, we find out about the gift he gives of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which is a person whom which has caused, or discussion about, has caused much division, perhaps, in the church over the last 50, 60 years. The, the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, has been much debated, much worried about it, and misunderstood in so many different ways. And it may be that if you've been a Christian for some period of time, that you've got a whole bunch of understanding about the Holy Spirit that's informed by all sorts of traditions and backgrounds, but I want us to drop all of that background and drop all of that baggage just for the, for the now. And come again to Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit. Come afresh to what he says. So that we might see who the Holy Spirit is. 
what the Holy Spirit will do. And as a result, why we should not fear but take heart. This morning, uh, as always, we're going to have a question time afterwards. You can get it on the online, slido.com, hashtag HBSP. There might be a lot of questions uh, because we talk about something like uh, the Holy Spirit this morning. So please ask them there as we go through the sermon. Let me pray, then we'll have a look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, please be with us. We ask for your help to understand your word this morning by your spirit. Please do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We jump straight in. Verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's pretty direct, isn't it? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, of course, this doesn't mean perfection. We saw last week that the disciples uh, didn't understand that Jesus and the Father were one. And that Jesus puts this down to a lack of love on behalf of the disciples. Nevertheless, they are still his disciples. And so it's not a question of perfection, but a sign of faith. For all of us, our obedience may wax and wane and may come and go. And we can't be happy with that, of course, but it is a sign of faith. We're never saved by the commandments we keep. We're saved by the the love we have for Jesus, which, as John says in another place, one of his letters, we love because he first loved us. And so if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments, a sign of your faith, a desire to do this out of honour for the one that we love. And Jesus says, when you ask me for that gift, when you pray the prayer that verses 13 and 14 last week spoke about, I will ask the Father and the Father will give you a gift. What is that gift? Well, look at verse 16 again. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that before. Jesus doesn't say, I'll give you a helper. He says, I'll give you another helper. It's an interesting word, isn't it? In other words, there has already been a helper and now there will be a, another helper. Well, who is the helper? Well, look at your Bible. I don't know if you can see it there. Next to the word helper in verse 16, you've got a little footnote, as I do. And if you go down to the bottom of the page... The word helper can also be translated as advocate or counsellor. What does that all mean? Well, what it means is that this word in the Greek language is incredibly hard for us to translate into English. I often say to people, people say, well, why isn't it easy just to translate from one to another? And I say, well, imagine going to France for a day and just speaking in the most ochre English you possibly can. You walk up to a French person and you say, Struth, cobber! How are you going to translate that into French? It's going to be hard work, isn't it? You might need more than two words. You might need to try and put a bit of a tone into the the, uh, translation that you make as well. And so it is here. It's it's really hard to translate what this word is about. Counselor, advocate, helper, comforter, they all have their positives and negatives. But literally the word is this, paraclete. And the word para means to come alongside. Sometimes you hear this word, don't you? Parachurch ministries. Parachurch ministry. I'm about to go and work in a parachurch ministry. Year 13. It runs alongside the church. Christian Surfers is the same. CMS is the same. All these different ministries are parachurch ministries. So something about this helper, this advocate, is alongside. 
That's the first part of this word. The other part, the, the cleat word, it means to call alongside. So what we've got here is to uh, someone who is going to walk alongside or be called alongside the people. And Jesus says, I'll give you another one, of the, or the Father will give you another one who will walk alongside, come alongside, be alongside you, which of course is what Jesus himself did. He's the first paraclete, the first helper, the first advocate, counsellor, comforter, whatever word we might want to use. And after Jesus leaves, the Father will send another paraclete, another helper. He will fill the, the same role that Jesus did. To come alongside and walk alongside his people, to be with his people. And so Jesus says here at the very beginning, I know I'm going to go, but I will not leave you alone. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But in the meantime, we, we want to now go, as Jesus does, into more detail about who is this helper and, and what does he do? Or as they say in Kindergarten Cop, who is this helper and what does he do? Uh, you haven't watched that movie, have you? Um, who is your daddy and what does he do? Anyway, who is this helper and what does he do? Well, let's have a look at those two questions in due course. First of all, who is the helper? Well, look at verse 17. The helper will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is who the helper is. Now, he's, not, he's described here not as the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of truth. Why is that? Well, in chapter 1 of the book of John, we read, don't we, that the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, describing Jesus, the Word who became flesh. And then in chapter 14, last week, we read that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And here we see that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of, of Jesus. Now, of course, we need to read this properly, not with the spirit of 2023 in our minds where we can have your truth and my truth and somebody else's truth and they can all be true somehow at the same time. Of course, that's just eroding the English language in every way. Truth, by definition, is not up for debate. It's just the truth. There's no my truth and your truth. And Jesus is the truth. And he gives his spirit, the spirit of truth. So the, the Holy Spirit that the people of God receive here is the Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus. The same spirit that Jesus has. Secondly, we see it's only for believers. Verse 17 again. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you. And will be in you. The world cannot accept the work of the Holy Spirit. They just simply cannot. And it's pretty simple as to why. If you cannot accept Jesus, you cannot accept the Spirit of Jesus. It just makes sense, doesn't it? If you don't accept Jesus, you can't accept His Spirit. It's impossible to do so. In fact, because of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as we've seen already in this chapter and we'll see over the next few weeks... Such is the dynamic relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You cannot have one without having the others. If you believe in the Father, you must believe in the Son and you must have the Holy Spirit. And so it is for each member of the Trinity. You cannot have one without the others. 
This is why the Holy Spirit is only for believers. The world who does not accept Jesus could not possibly accept the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Which brings us to the third thing this passage tells us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit unites us to the Father and the Son. Look at verse 20. This is mind-boggling theology. Because I live... Oh, sorry. In that day, verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Last week we learned, didn't we, that so deep is the relationship with the Father and the Son, the Father and the Lord Jesus, that if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. They're not the same, but... If, the father, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father, and the Father is in the Son, and the Son in the Father, and so on. And here, Jesus goes a step further. When the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper comes, he says, you will know that I am in my Father, and you, disciples, are in me, and I am in you. This is deep stuff, isn't it? You are in me, and I am in you. See, Jesus is saying this in the upper room as he's about to leave his disciples. His disciples who were troubled as Jesus is about to head to the cross. But he's saying to his disciples, it's better that I go. Because once I was with you, walking alongside you. But when I leave, then I can be in you by the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we want to know, don't we? What does that look like? How does that work? How does, how does the Holy Spirit live in the people of God? And we want to know all the sort of metaphysics about all of that sort of stuff. And they're good questions to ask perhaps for another day. But the point of the matter is this. God, God the Father, God the Son, dwells not just with his people, but in his people because of what Jesus will go to do at the cross. And this means you. This means you. This is a comfort and a joy and a relief that none of us are alone. We're united to the Father and the Son because of what the Holy Spirit does. Which brings us to the fourth thing we see about the Holy Spirit here. We are brought into the presence of God. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also We'll live. And then down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest or show myself to him. The point is that Jesus, being the good shepherd that he is, will not leave his people alone in the world. And this is why he says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. He will not leave us alone. Sometimes when you stop and think about it, time has changed so quickly, hasn't it? Uh, our youngest son, Balin, he's in year 10. He's going on an overseas school trip, which is pretty lucky, in a few weeks' time. Uh, and when he goes there, we know that he'll have, uh, during the days, probably some access to Wi-Fi. He'll be able to sit in a, in a hotel room somewhere and maybe FaceTime us or call us, if he wants to, uh, and talk to us about what's been going on in the trip. It was less than 20 years ago uh, where I organised a trip for Kel and her sister 
to head overseas to Europe for three weeks to visit some friends that they knew over there. And the kids were only very little at that time. In fact, Balaam wasn't even born at that point. But the plan that we had, or that I had at that time, uh, was to send in Kel's suitcase a letter for each of the days that we would have uh, back at home. And each of the days had a date on it, and I told her already, because I'd already organised it, what we were going to do, what I was going to do with the kids on every single day of uh, the time that she was away. That was a way of sort of connecting with her while she was overseas. To write that letter and every day tell her what we were going to do. And there were photos and other things on each of the letter every day. And she was going to open them and, and see what was in there. Things have changed so much. But one thing hasn't actually changed, has it? Whether my son is overseas with the access to Wi-Fi. Or my wife was away 20 years ago with only letters that I could send. It's, it doesn't matter. What I need is her presence with me. The photos are good. The FaceTime's good. The messages are good. All of that stuff is good. It connects us together and that's all great. But in the end, there's nothing better than the return of the actual person into your presence at the airport on that last day of the holiday. And you can understand then why the disciples would hear that Jesus is going to leave them. And yet Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you a photo or a FaceTime or a message. or I'm going to leave you something better. I'm going to leave you my very presence. Something that will unite you to the Father and the Son. I'm going to leave you the gift of the Holy Spirit that is actually better than me being with you on this earth. This is the gift that he leaves for his people, the helper, the counsellor, the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And he gives this to us, his followers. Well, this is what the, who the Holy Spirit is. But what does he do? Well, as we come to what the Holy Spirit does, we're left asking the question that, as I've spoken with people this week, I've asked many of you, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We know, don't we, that those people who identify strongly with the work of the Holy Spirit will take those biblical images like the dove, or the, the tongues of fire. And these are biblical th uh, uh, images and metaphors, of course. But as we think about these, they often evoke vibes of uncontrollable things that take place. And if we were to draw a picture of, of the Holy Spirit, we might use these uncontrollable ideas to try and understand what the Holy Spirit does. But this passage gives us a different approach. The Holy Spirit here is a... A teacher. I'm not sure who your favourite teacher at school was. When we were at school, we had a mufty day at school and it was our day of all dressing up as our favourite teacher. One of my friends was so accurate in dressing up as our favourite teacher that the teacher couldn't actually teach the class because he'd look at himself all day throughout that period and he just could not come to terms with the fact that he was teaching himself. But what is it that makes a good teacher, your favourite teacher? Well, it's not just that they impart information, is it? It's the way they do it, for sure, but actually each and every teacher is good if they point to the things that they should be teaching, point to the curriculum. Kel would say that she had some teachers at school that just didn't bother to teach half of the curriculum in her English course. She had to do it herself. 
In the end, it doesn't matter if that teacher was well-liked or not. They didn't do their job. They didn't point to the curriculum they were supposed to teach. And the Holy Spirit is the same. The Holy Spirit is a teacher, but he does not go rogue and teach his own things. He teaches the words of Jesus. I wonder if you were to draw a picture of the Holy Spirit, what you think the Holy Spirit would look like in picture form, would you have drawn a teacher? Well, I want to show you that that's exactly what the case is here. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. See what these verses say? If you love Jesus, you will love his word. So this is going to be a big problem for the disciples, isn't it? The big problem for the disciples is this. What happens when Jesus is gone and that word is gone? Big problem. Well, verse 25 tells us the answer to this problem. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. For many, the Holy Spirit is synonymous with a vibe or a feeling or an experience or an emotion or a power or a song or something else. People sometimes use that language, don't they? When God shows up, it's horrible language. God's always with us. But we don't often associate the Holy Spirit with the Word of God and the preaching of the Scriptures. And the teaching of God's word. But don't be led astray, brothers and sisters. Jesus has just told us here that the Holy Spirit's job is to be big on the word of God. The word of the Father that comes through the Son is what the Holy Spirit will do and major in. Don't be led astray. The people of God, the the church, the body of believers who are big on the word of God are the ones who are the big on the spirit of God. But I wonder if you missed just a couple of really important words there in verse 26. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be a teacher and remind the disciples of everything he said. But do you see what he says at the end of verse 26? All that I have said to you. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because we weren't there. How can Jesus, uh, how can the Holy Spirit remind us of the words of Jesus when we weren't even there? Well, as we said last week, these words in John 14 to 17, we have to read very carefully. We have to read, first of all, what was, it apply, what was the application to the 12 in the room? And then what is the application to us? Because the coming of the Holy Spirit is different for the 12 in the room than what it is for us today. Let me explain. See, for them, those in the room, they really could get the Holy Spirit to recall the exact words of Jesus that he spoke to them while he was with them. Why would they have such an important role like that? Well, it's simply this. Because these apostles in this room would be the ones commissioned to remember the words of Jesus and write the words of the New Testament for us. That's why the test of whether your books should be in the New Testament or not is whether or not they are apostolic in foundation. 
It's often said that human beings, men, got together at the Council of Nicaea or somewhere else to put the New Testament together. And it's just a man-made group of books. But Jesus says here it's not. Here, the disciples of Jesus are given the ability by the Holy Spirit of God to remember the words that Jesus spoke to them. And they get it because they were witnesses to what Jesus said. That's why we see in the book of Acts that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These apostles had the ability to be inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And that is a difference between you and me. We don't have the same inspiration as the first apostles in that room because we did not see the things that Jesus said in person. That's why it's not possible for us to get a new teaching, a new revelation or a new part of God's word given to us. That's why it's not possible for us to say God told me this or God told me that or Jesus said this to me or Jesus said that to me apart from the word of God because we weren't there. Here in this passage, Jesus says to these 12 disciples, I will allow you to be inspired in order that you will end up writing the New Testament, the Word of God. So what does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean that, uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit will do anything different for us, but it'll have a different shape to it. We are not inspired so that we can have new revelations and write the Word of God, but we will be able to be illumined by the Holy Spirit to see the word of the Father the word of Jesus and understand it as it is in the scriptures in God's word you see we know don't we that many people read the Bible but not everyone believes it it's like we have the Bible open in front of us every person that ever reads it has it open in front of them but the lights are all off and the work of the Holy Spirit for us is to take the torch and to shine it upon the Word of God so that we might actually read the words and not just look in a blank, dark room. And so it's a subtle but important difference between the twelve in the room and between us. We will all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who will be a teacher for us. For them, he would teach them and remind them what Jesus had said so that they might write it down in the inspired scriptures for us. And for us... He will teach us and illumine God's word to us. So that for us there is no new teaching or impression or prophecy that we get that is apart from the word of God. And so we need to look in the right places for what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is not in the vibe, in the experience, in the emotion, in the feelings, in the strange, wacky and weird things or even in feeling uplifted. But the Holy Spirit is in the word and the proclamation of the gospel and in what Jesus says from his Father. And so Jesus says to his followers, including us, it's best I go to the cross. They don't know yet that he will provide forgiveness there, but as he goes to the cross and sits at the right hand of God, then will be the time that he gives his Holy Spirit to his believers. And so he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus hasn't left us to complete his work in his world alone. He hasn't left us on our own. He's left us by his own personal presence, the Holy Spirit with us. 
And so whatever is ahead of you this week or through to the end of this year or whatever you're staring down the barrel of in your life in any way, Jesus says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you trust in God, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you have been given a gift, a gift that can bring you peace. And so we take heart. Do not fear. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Spirit of Jesus is with us. And so we do not fear, but we are ready to be taught by Jesus himself in his word. Or you might like to ask a question or two at this point, and I'm going to open it up to do that. Let's spend about 90 seconds or so. The instructions are on the screen. I'll come back, answer one or two, and then we'll go from there. All right, let's answer a couple that are here. Thank you for asking them as always. Uh, you mentioned people who are big on the Word of God are big on the Spirit of God. Why do you think we are tempted to think otherwise? It's just the, the, the nature of the culture that we live in. So um, uh, you can't go into a long history lesson at this point, but um, uh, what we understand as Pentecostal Christianity only really has existed in the last hundred years or so. It wasn't around before that. Um, and... Really, at that time, uh, that's when uh, the various different, particularly gifts of the Spirit and experiences of the Spirit, as they're so called, um, uh, became more prominent. Over time, that's become a very prominent form of, of Christianity throughout the world. Um, and, and that's one of its biggest errors, in my mind, is the, is the way in which it operates around the Holy Spirit and the things of the Holy Spirit. And so because it's just become so prominent... Even in our own circles, what ends up happening is we start to think that the work of the Holy Spirit will happen in these unusual or spectacular kinds of ways. Now, God can always do spectacular things however he wishes to do so. That's never outside of um, God's ability. Um, but I think it's become a thing over recent times because of the prevalence of that type of ministry as well. And so that's why I say it's important for us to put aside our own preconceptions about this and just listen to what Jesus says here. And he's saying very clearly, isn't he, that the Holy Spirit is a teacher and a teacher of Jesus' words, the teacher's words that have come from the Father. And that's a very clear thing that, uh, that Jesus is saying here. Um, so it's just uh, about prevalence and about um, our history, I think. Uh, next one, does God keep this, uh, does, does the Holy Spirit help us remember Scripture at various times like he helped the apostles remember 
what he said to them. Yeah, I think he, that's exactly right. So he won't give us any new uh, revelation or anything like that, but he'll remind us of what has been spoken to us. Uh, and that's his role. He'll remind us in the scriptures. Absolutely. Uh, so great question uh, that almost answers itself. Well done. Uh, last one. So when we feel called or feel God answered, uh, answered a prayer, how do we know that the Holy Spirit hasn't talked to us? Uh, that's a great question too. Um, uh, the reason that we have the objective word of God in front of us is because it's really easy for anybody to make up an impression in their own head about what they think God has said to them. Um, we also need to remember that the evil one is a deceiver. And so he, he don't actually, uh, the, the evil one doesn't necessarily say, go out and do lots and lots of evil things. This is what the, uh, the evil one says, did God really say? So he's going to twist God's word ever so slightly. So the impression in our head is the least helpful thing that we can think about. Uh, best to come back to what God promised and whether or not we see that taking shape in our lives. And if we do, we know God has answered our prayer because he promised to and he's brought it about. Uh, last question. Are signs and wonders as in the early church part of the Holy Spirit now? Um, not part of the Holy Spirit now. It, God can do what God wishes to do. Absolutely. Um, but it's interesting that here... Uh, even with the apostles, this is not what God promised, uh, what Jesus promised to his people. So God can do anything. That's absolutely fine. I've got no problem with any of that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's not a thing that Jesus promises to his people or even expects that his people will do uh, throughout the uh, pages of the New Testament. Uh, we can talk about any more of that. Love to over a coffee in a moment. Let me pray and then we'll sing our final song. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for teaching us about the helper that you've given to us. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the presence of Jesus with us all the time. There's so many questions about how that exactly works, but please comfort our hearts as this passage intends to do. Please show us again the generous, kind love that you have for us, that you would not leave us alone, but help us in this world by the constant presence of the Lord Jesus called alongside us so that we might uh, be forever comforted by him. Uh, we thank you so much for this great gift. Please help us not to take the presence of the Holy Spirit with us for granted in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. We're going to sing our final song. It's the love of the...